Greetings, everyone. Welcome to day number three of the Feast of Tabernacles, 2023. What will the millennium be like? Now, that's an interesting question because, as we will see, there are several categories that fit into the millennium. And we know from Revelation 20 that it says that those of the first resurrection are blessed and holy. That means they will be the spirit sons and daughters of God. And they will rule and reign with Christ a thousand years. And just think what that's going to produce. That's likely going to be more productive than the 6,000 years plus leading up to the millennium. Now then, we know that Christ will be king. Okay? He is going to rule from Jerusalem. Now let's see a very interesting prophecy of what will be at Jerusalem. Now, it's not going to be any little teeny temple made of stone like you see in Ezekiel 40 onward. That is actually a description for the temple to be built when they came out of captivity from Babylon. Because any temple of God must be built according to God's instructions. And that's why the temple that's coming in Jerusalem here in a very short while, though it's called the temple of God, is not the temple of God. Now, let's see what it's going to be like when the millennium begins. How is God, because Christ and the saints, all coming back to the Mount of Olives? And everything begins at that point. And as we saw yesterday, many nations will say, come, let us go up to the house of the Lord, and he will teach us of his law and of his way, for the law shall go out from the Lord to all the earth. Now when we come to chapter 4 of Isaiah, God just gives us two little scriptures to define what kind of tabernacle, now not temple, tabernacle, that God is going to set up in Jerusalem. And it's going to be awesome because we saw when the saints in Christ come back to the earth, the whole Mount of Olives is going to be split in two and it's going to create a magnificent area there for the new tabernacle of God. So Isaiah 4, verse 5. 
the Lord shall create over every dwelling place of Mount Zion. Okay? That's right there where the tabernacle is going to be. And it's going to be a mammoth tabernacle. Okay? Dwelling place of Zion, and over her assemblies, a cloud of smoke by day. Now, that's exactly what God did in bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt, right? There was the pillar of cloud by day. And that was noted that God is here. God is ruler. God is leader. And God knows everything that goes on. Now continuing. And the shining of a flaming fire by night. Just exactly as it was in the Exodus, only greater, more awesome indeed. Now think what people are going to, to understand and feel when they see. Now, the physical people will not be able to go into, New Jer- into Jerusalem on the earth. Now, New Jerusalem, when it comes down from heavens, is another whole story, which we will cover on the eighth day. Okay. For over all the glory shall be a canopy, a great canopy, because God in Christ is going to be living there. Now the Father will remain in heaven, and he does not come to the earth until the earth is reconfigured again into the new heavens and the new earth. And what's going to happen there, just to project ahead, when the lake of fire destroys the wicked, then the fire is going to consume the whole earth and melt all the elements and form the new heaven and the new earth. So this one here is what's going to be during the millennium. It'll always be there, by day, by night, and God's rule over the world will be absolute. Verse 9, And there shall be a tabernacle for shade by day from the heat and for refuge and for shelter from storm and rain. Now, we don't know who all is going to be there, okay? We don't know how all of that's going to be, but we do know this. We know in Revelation, the second chapter, so let's turn there so we can read it, because this applies to all of the churches, and the message to all of the churches where there are the seven churches pertains to all of them as well, because of what Jesus says. Now, let's understand this. Today, we are building the character of God for the first resurrection. 
And then one more changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye at the last trump. And then we become the spirit sons of daughters. We are taken to the sea of glass. We are instructed for the four months on what we're going to do. We come back to the earth. Now, we're not all going to remain in, in that area. We're all going to have our assignments given to us while we're on the sea of glass, and we will know what we are to do. Now, we know from the parable of the pounds and the parable of the talents that there's going to be given rulership over every city and every town. We also know that there's going to be rulership over every one of the nations. Now, let's read it here. Revelation, the second chapter. And this is to the church of Thyatira. Okay. Now, they had their problems and difficulties and a lot of suffering and a lot of martyrdom in that phase of the church. And we're looking forward for that same kind of thing at the end time. And we can see the resistance mounting now and by the degradation of anything that is Christian. Revelation 2. Let's go to verse 23. And he says, concerning this wicked system of the world, has been taught by Jezebel, and that Jezebel represents the Catholic Church and all the religions of the world. And I will kill her children with death, okay? If they don't repent, there's death, okay? And all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the reins and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. See, now that's, this is the message to all seven churches. Okay. Then there are seven parts of that overall message to each of the churches. But to you I say, and to the rest who are in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, that is, the doctrine of the false Christ, the doctrine of false salvation, the doctrine of the hierarchy and idolatry and the absolute wrong thing concerning the Passover and keeping the commandments of God. And who have not known the depths of Satan as they speak. Now that's quite a statement, isn't it? that there were some who were taken out of the church and led into the depths of Satan. Now, do we have that as a possibility today with everything that's going on? Absolutely. And what they're trying to do is bring as much of the depths of Satan to the surface to be accepted as normal as possible. So he says, as many as have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will not cast upon you any other burden, but hold fast that which you have until I come. 
the one who overcomes. Now listen carefully. This has a great deal of meaning. The one who overcomes. Now that means we must overcome self, sin, and Satan, and society. Okay? The three S's. The one who overcomes and keeps my works unto the end. Remember how we've covered in different messages about having our hearts fixed? Yes, well, this verifies that as well. Okay. I will give authority over the nations. Now, there are various layers of authority in each one of the nations, correct? So then all of those positions will be filled by the resurrected saints of God. And he shall shepherd them with a rod of iron. Now, it's going to be firm. It's going to be strong. It's going to be demanding. And yet, with love and mercy and truth. And always repentance. Shepherd them with a rod of iron as a vessel of pottery are broken in pieces as I have also received from my father. And I will give him the morning star and that morning star is eternal life. Let the one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches so that we can be partakers of it. Now, let's come to Isaiah 60, and let's see how this is going to come about. And then we'll look over at Isaiah 61 again, where we are called the ministers of God doing God's will, bringing about God's way, coming to understand the truth even more than what we have now, and we're going to lead, we're going to teach, we're going to judge, we're going to rule. All of those things are there. Now let's come to Isaiah 60, and let's see what the society is going to be like. Okay? Let's see how it's going to be for the people. And also commingled in this is what it means for us as we serve as rulers and priests and servants for the people during the millennium. Now, let's go to verse 1, because it shows what it's going to be like, because the earth is going to reach spiritually its darkest moments before the return of Christ. So chapter 60 and verse 1 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has been risen upon you. It's the return of Christ and the saints. For behold, now this is the condition of the earth that it starts out with us when we begin. Darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people, but the Lord shall arise upon you and his glory shall be seen upon you. 
Now, there are two things that applies to. That applies to the people they will see it when Christ and the saints come, and it applies to us receiving the glory of God in our personal immortal bodies. And the Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your coming. Okay, That can be applied to all the people on earth coming to know the way of God. And also for us coming to Christ. Lift up your eyes all around and see all of them gather themselves together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be nursed at your side. Then you shall see and become radiant, and your heart shall throb and swell for joy, because of the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you, and the wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. Now, this applies to the individuals on the earth. This applies to Israel and the physical people on the earth. So there are layers and classes of this, you see. Then it applies to us as we serve and teach the people. So this is going to be a great thing indeed that's going to happen here. Now let's drop down here to verse 10. And the sons of strangers shall build up your walls, and their king shall serve you. For in my wrath I struck you, but in my grace I had mercy upon you. And that's going to show the loving part of God. See, those who enter into the millennium as physical beings go through a lot of terrible things. And the greatest thing that is going to happen, they're going to receive the grace of God and have salvation open to them, and we're going to teach them. Okay? Verse 11, Therefore your gates will always be open, they will not be shut day or night, that men may bring unto you the wealth of the Gentiles and their kings in procession. How all of that works, we don't know. But we know that we're co-inheritors with Christ, and we know that we will probably receive tithes and offerings, and we know that we will bring those our tithes and offerings up to Jerusalem as well. So this is going to be quite a tremendous thing that's going to happen. Okay? Now note in verse 12. And here is the rod of iron. See? Because there will be no toleration of living in sin. Now we'll see that a little later. For the nation and kingdom that will not serve you will perish. Well, that's going to happen if they don't. Okay? Yea, those nations will be completely wasted. Now think of that. So keep that in mind. Okay? The glory of Lebanon will come unto you. The fir tree, the pine tree, the box tree together 
to beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I will make the place of my feet glorious. And the sons of your afflictors shall come bowing down to you, and all your despisers shall bow down at the soles of your feet, and you will be called the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Now that's referring to us as they come, and also referring to what happens when people come toward the tabernacle of God. Okay? Now continuing on. Instead of being forsaken and hated so that no one passes through, I will make you an eternal excellency, a joy of many generations. Now, that's how it's going to be. Now, how many generations are there going to be during the millennium? We don't know. But of many generations. Okay. Now, notice, and this refers to us. This refers how we will be receiving what God wants us to from the people. Because everyone's going to give. Everyone's going to tithe. And we will manage that and send that on up to Jerusalem as well. Okay. You will also suck the milk of nations and suck the breast of kings. You shall know that I am the Lord. I, the Lord, am your Savior, your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Now that applies to us in relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. And this applies to the nations when they're converted, when God brings a blessing upon them, when they have all of the produce, they have all of the things that they have, and they will increase in wealth, and it will make the things that have been done on earth prior to that seem like just trash. Okay? Now notice what it says. Here's how it's going to be. The greatest economic stability for a thousand years without a depression. Now, how's that going to be? That will be because we will follow the seven-year release and the seven-year land rest and the 50th year jubilee. That keeps the economy at a steady level of growth and increase. Because remember, it says, and of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. So this is going to build all during the millennium. Okay. Now notice, this tells us a little bit about the financial system. We don't know exactly how it's going to be. But there will be a financial system. Verse 17, for bronze I will bring gold. For iron I will bring silver. For wood I will bring bronze. For stones, iron. Then he says, I will also make your overseers to be peace and your rulers to be righteousness. That's us. 
serving the people during the millennium. What a thing that's going to be. Look at that right here. Now, brethren, let's understand something here. Clearly, the Bible is so awesome and so fantastic and inspired in such a way that it tells us in advance everything that God is going to do. But we won't understand that unless we love him and obey him and have Jesus Christ as our head of the church and that we develop the mind of Christ and that we attain to the first resurrection. But this is awesome. Think about this. Think about people who know nothing about what we know and they pick up a Bible and start reading and think about this and wonder, I wonder what that means. I wonder what, how is this going to be? And they look back in the history of the world and it's been nothing but war and problems and troubles and collapses of nations and empires and cities and famine and starvation and everything that it has been the result of Satan's rule over the earth. Okay. Now notice, verse 18, violence, no more crime. Not like we see today. And violence and crime are the result of sin and rejecting God. Now, the reason that these things are going to be like this is because Satan will not be around. Oh, we're going to have to deal with sin. Yes, indeed. We're going to have to deal with how, how do we help people overcome the sin. And there will be some, as we will see, who will choose not to go the way of God. In spite of everything we're reading here of how great it's going to be. So it also tells you this. Physical things, as good as they may be, are only worthwhile when you are right with God. Otherwise, it leads to destruction. Violence will be no more heard in your land, neither wasting nor ruin within your borders, but you will call your walls salvation and your gates praise. Because Christ is ruling. The saints are ruling. The patriarchs are running the whole world from the tabernacle in Jerusalem. Quite a thing indeed. All of the patriarchs of old will be right there with Christ. Verse 19. The sun will no more be your light by day. Okay. That doesn't mean it's going away. But it means there's something better than the light of day. Nor the brightness of the moon give light to you, but the Lord, the Lord will be to you for an everlasting light and your God your glory. Okay. Now that applies to us as saints, as we're ruling. It applies to those 
physical people during the millennium who become converted. And of course, the vast majority will. Your sun will no more go down, nor your moon withdraw its light, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and the days of your mourning shall be ended. Your people also will all be righteous. Now, we'll talk about that a little bit later, about how the righteous rule and judge. Okay? Read that again. Your people also will be righteous. A lot different from today. We can't imagine a society, a community, a nation, the world, all loving God and keeping his commandments and all being ruled over and taught by the spiritual sons and daughters of God who were resurrected from the dead, who are the first fruits of God, the firstborn into the kingdom of God. All of that is tied together as we read Isaiah 60. Okay. Verse 21 again, your people also will all be righteous. They will inherit the land forever. The branch of my planting, the work of my hands, so that I may be glorified. In other words, all of this is talking about conversion, growth, overcoming, people attaining to receiving eternal life. Now, we'll talk about that in a bit, how that's going to happen, because it's going to be quite a thing indeed. And then we'll talk about, will there be free moral agency? And what's going to happen if there are rebels? Okay, let's go on. Now he says this, The smallest will become a thousand, and the least one a strong nation. Now notice, I, the Lord, will hasten it in its time. That is according to the time frame of God. Quite an amazing, amazing thing. Now, what is all of this? See? All of this is called, from Acts the third chapter, the restoration of all things. Now that's when Christ is going to return and what he's going to bring. All right? Now then, let's come to Jeremiah 31. Let's see what God says about this. Jeremiah 31. And this shows God's promise to bring Israel back to their lands. Now, a lot of people think it's only going to be in the Middle East. That is not true because what God told Abraham was to look to the north, look to the south, look to the east, and look to the west. And look where modern Israel is today. 
So here's what God says is going to happen to them. Let's come back here to chapter 30, verse 22. Speaking of Israel, God says, after the correction of the tribulation and the return of Christ, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Behold, the whirlwind of the Lord's wrath goes forth, a sweeping whirlwind, it shall whirl on the head of the wicked. That's what's going to happen, getting rid of all of the wicked as the millennium is set up. The fierce anger of the Lord shall not return until he has done it, because there will not be any rebellion and uprising against God during the millennium. And until he has fulfilled the purpose of his heart, in the latter days you shall understand it. Now then, he says this, he's going to bring back Israel. From the north, from the south, from the east, from the west, we find that in chapter 31. So let's read just a couple verses there in 31, okay? And let's understand why God is doing all of this, even in his anger. Because when you stop and consider it, having the second resurrection shows a great deal of the love of God. And that comes after the millennium is finished, so we're a little ahead of ourselves. Now chapter 31. At that time, says the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. And then likewise with every nation. All the nations that come to Jerusalem to learn of God's way, they will be his people. All the strong nations that are slow to repent, he's going to bring plagues upon them, and especially Gog and Magog, until they repent. All right? Thus says the Lord, the people who were left of the sword found grace in the wilderness, even Israel, where I will go to give him rest, bring him into the millennium. The Lord has appeared to me from afar, saying, Yea, I have loved you. Now, this is talking about Israel. Okay. And then this applies to all of those who are converted now and are called the saints of God. Now notice. Yea, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Now, everlasting is not unconditional. And that's what's wrong with the world's religion today. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. Then he says, I will build you and I will make you great again. Now let's see some other things concerning the worship of God, and concerning the power of God, at which will involve us and also the people. Let's come to Psalm, Psalm 105. This is going to be quite a thing. We will see some things. Now, actually, I've done messages in the past, the millennium in the Psalms and the millennium in, in Isaiah, because both of them have so much concerning the... Millennium and the kingdom of God. 
Now let's come to Psalm 105. And let's pick it up right here in verse 1. Now, in many of these things we're going to read now, that can apply to the people, the physical people who are in the millennium, and to the resurrected saints who are the rulers and priests of the world in our relationship to God. Verse 1. Give thanks unto the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people. Sing to him, sing praises unto him. Talk of all his wondrous works. Now, we are going to learn the things of creation that we have never understood. And just like I have mentioned before concerning the James Webb Telescope, now, if you have a computer, go online and subscribe to their, their website so you can see the awesome pictures of the universe, things that only God has seen. And yet there are a whole lot more out there that we can't even see with even whatever equipment we have to try to see it, okay, which tells us how fantastic God is. Okay. Talk of all his wonderful works, glory in his holy name. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength and seek his face evermore. Okay. Now that will apply to those in the millennium. And that will apply to us as spirit beings to serving and loving God and then ruling over the people. That's an amazing thing. Look at what that's going to be like. All right, let's come here to Psalm 113, and let's pick it up in verse 1. Okay, now then, think about this. Now, when I read this, I was thinking, what's it, what is it going to be like when we are able to come to Jerusalem and come to the big tabernacle that is there, okay, and be able to come in and talk with Jesus face to face. And Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets. Think of what they can teach us and tell us. Okay? Psalm 113, verse 1. Oh, praise the Lord, give praise to the Lord, O you servants of the Lord, praise the name of the Lord. See, because we must maintain our relationship with God as spirit beings in order to help the people maintain their relationship with us and with God. Okay, there it is. Blessed is the name of the Lord from this time forward and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its going down, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations. See? Because what does it say about the mountain of God? It's going to be higher. Mount of Olives is going to be higher than the rest of the mountains of the world. Okay? And on that's going to be that big tabernacle. So we don't know exactly how all of that is going to be, 
But that's going to be marvelous indeed when we see it. Okay. And his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who dwells on high? Okay. Yes, who looks down from heaven. Well, all during the millennium, the Father's still going to be in heaven because the Father's not going to come to the earth until there's no more sin. All right? Let's look at another one. And remember this. We're the called, we're the chosen, we're the faithful. Correct? Let's come to Psalm 147. Let's pick it up here right at the beginning in verse 1. Now think about this. All of us now who are the spirit sons and daughters of God. And we pray to God every day. We probably can talk to God in, in, in a more direct way. Okay? Now, we don't know how that's going to be. But Jesus is going to be king over all the earth. And he is going to delegate to us all of the responsibilities of bringing people into the kingdom of God during the millennium. Now think of that. And he's going to give his spirit and the spirit of the Father to all of those who are converted. All right? Psalm 147, verse 1. Oh, praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praise unto our God, for praise is pleasant and becoming. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers together the outcast of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He counts the number of the stars, and he calls them all by name. Great is our Lord. Mighty in power is understanding is infinite. Now, that's how the millennium's going to be. And in this case, we see there's God the Father, he's yet to come. There's Jesus Christ, the tabernacle, all of the patriarchs and Christ there in Jerusalem and whoever else is going to be there. And then all of the saints of God ruling in the cities and ruling in the nations to bring the truth of God and help many people come to conversion. Now, let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we will ask the question, how long do they live? And will there be sin? And what will happen to the sinners? Now let's continue on. Let's ask the question, will there be sin during the millennium by the physical people living on the earth? The answer is, since there is free moral agency, yes, there will be sin. And that's all going to be based on choice. Just like in the beginning with Adam and Eve. What did God say? And it gets down to the, to the simple little phrase, obey my voice. 
So he gave them all the instructions that they needed. He told them about the tree of life, and he told them about the tree of the knowledge and good and evil. And he said, in the day that you eat thereof, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in dying, you shall surely die. And that is true all the way through. And unrepentant sinners, we know, will die the second death. So this shows this. There will be choices, and we will have to make them. Okay? And when you go against God's law, you sin. And when there is sin, there must be repentance and restoration. And we will see that is something that will probably take place without a doubt. Okay? Now, here's something in Deuteronomy 30 that is always true through all time, through all covenants, spiritually and physically. Deuteronomy 30, verse 15. This is a different way of describing what went on the Garden of Eden. Verse 15, Behold, I have set before you this day life and good and death and evil. That will be all during the millennium and all during the 100-year period because that applies in all circumstances at every time in God's plan. And then I command you this day to love the Lord your God And that's going to be the first thing we're going to be teaching, teaching people to love God with all their heart, with all their mind, with all their soul. And when they sin, to repent and receive forgiveness and restoration. To love the Lord your God, to walk in his way. And that's what we will be saying to people, as we find in Isaiah 30, that the teachers will no longer be hidden. They will be there. So if you go to the right hand or to the left hand, you will be told, don't go there. Walk in the way of God. Now, with free choice, for those who were rebels... That's going to be hard to take. So we need to know, how is that going to be handled? All right, let's continue on here. We'll get to that in a little bit. Okay. To walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments so that you may live and multiply and in the millennium that you may live and receive eternal life. Because that's the whole purpose of it, to bring in many sons and many daughters. And the plan of God is so great that we can't even think in the terms that God thinks of. I mean, it's hard for us to think of a trillion, but how about trillions and quadrillions and uh, however number beyond that? 
which God says that he knows all the stars by name and number. So what is the purpose of all of that? That has to do with us. See? That has to do with the people coming in to the kingdom of God spiritually during the millennium. Okay? So that you may live and multiply. Now, that's quite a statement, isn't it? Multiply. Not only physically, but think of that spiritually. Because what God is doing is multiplying his spirit sons and daughters. And that's going to be an innumerable number when it's all said and done. And the Lord your God bless you in the land where you to go, go to possess it. Okay. Now, they'll be living in the land. It will be the greatest. It will be the most prosperous. It will be the most productive. It will be the most loving. It will be the most obedient that has ever been in the history of the world. Now, verse 17. But if shows the condition. There are choices to be made. We are to choose. We are to choose them, as we teach them during the millennium, that they are to choose, to choose the way of God, to choose the way of his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments, and bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Now, that's going to be a spectacular thing to take place, okay? Let's go here now. But if your heart turn away, showing that there is choice. Now, God is not going to take that away because God does not want robots. He wants people to love him. He wants people to serve him. He wants people to be converted. He wants them as spirit sons and daughters. His plan is so great that the whole universe is waiting. Okay? But if your heart turn away so that you will not hear, but you'll be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them. Now, there won't be any other gods around at that time, so it will be worshiping of your own self and your own way or your own ideas and your own thoughts separate from God. Verse 18, I denounce to you this day that you shall surely perish. The same thing he told Adam and Eve, right? In the day that you eat thereof, in dying you shall die. Here it is. You shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land, nor receive eternal life. Where you pass over the Jordan to possess it. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you. And this runs through everything of God's plan. Everywhere at all time. From the time of Adam and Eve until the time of the last ones into the kingdom of God. I call heaven and earth to record against you this day that I have set before you life 
and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life so that both you and your seed may live. Now then, that goes to all the people, physical people during the millennium. It goes to all of us who are entering into the kingdom of God as spirit beings, that we always, always, always love God and keep his commandments and understand his word and live by it. Verse 20 starts right out where we began at verse 16, to love God. Okay. That you may love the Lord your God and may obey his voice. Now notice it says may. And everything when it, it comes up with may means there's a choice. We have to choose. And we have to understand. That's why we have to bring down every thought that is hostile to God and bring it into captivity and cast it away. Whatever it may be. And may cleave, obey his voice and cleave to him, for he is your life and your length of days. Now think about that in relationship to eternal life. Okay. So that you may dwell in the land which the Lord has sworn to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you. And that applies to the kingdom of God as well. Now, what's going to happen to the sinner? Something has to happen to them. What about those who don't repent? Okay. How's it going to work? Well, we can get part of it coming back here to the book of Genesis, chapter 3 and chapter 4. Okay. Adam and Eve sinned. What happened to them when they sinned? It isn't recorded that they repented, but God still did not abandon them because he was just beginning his plan. But how, how did it start out? It started out that he created man and woman, and he had prepared a garden for them to live in. And they lived with God in the garden. And he told them about the tree of life, and he told them about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay? So when they took it upon themselves to decide for themselves, instead of looking to God's leadership and God's truth and God's commandments, they decided that they could do it themselves. Now, Satan the devil was there to tempt them. During the millennium, Satan the devil is not going to be around. So the circumstances will be substantially different. But the fact of choosing right and wrong, love and truth, sin and disobedience will be the same. Okay? So what happened when Adam and Eve sinned? 
they were removed from going into the Garden of Eden. So that means they were exiled. That is, excluded from going in to the Garden of Eden. Now it appears that they could come to the east gate of the garden where the cherubim were there with the sword to keep them from going in, a flaming sword. Okay. And God would meet them there. Now, we don't know what kind of relationship that they had with God, but God was there to teach them certain fundamental basic things of living. Okay. Now, then we find that Eve bore Cain and then Abel. And it turned out on the 135th year of their existence that Cain rose up and killed Abel because he was angry at Abel because God accepted him because Abel's sacrifice was correct. In other words, Abel was obeying the voice of the Lord. Cain's offering was not accepted because it wasn't according to the commands of God. So Cain did not obey the voice of the Lord. So he got angry and he killed his brother. So what did God say to Cain after he killed Abel? He said, you're going to be removed to the land of wandering, a further exile a further taking away. So that's probably what's going to happen during the millennium. Okay. Now let's see that again. We know that, look, what happened with the time of the flood? Evil multiplied so much that the only way, because God had given free moral agency and everyone chose to go the way of Satan, the devil, that he had to destroy everything but what he saved through Noah and his family and the things on the ark. Everything was destroyed by the flood, and it was a worldwide flood. Now, we know from today that there are big holes that go deep into the earth where there is more water under the earth than there is covering the oceans today. So, the flood was real, and it did happen. And it that brought out this. The wages of sin is death. And the wages of sin is the destruction of all your society, your cities, everyone living in them, because instead of coming to God... What did you do? Your thoughts were only evil continually because you abused your free moral agency. Now we find the same thing in 2 Kings, the 16th chapter, concerning Israel. Okay? Now to say nothing between that time and Sodom and Gomorrah burned up 
because they wouldn't repent. Okay? Now, 2 Kings 17, let's see what happened because Israel sinned, went after Baal, went after the work of their own hands, set up their idols, rejected the way of God. So what did God do to them? What happened to them? And let's understand, we see it happening today in the world all around us, the same thing. 2 Kings 17 and verse 22. Here we will see again an exiling, not just a few people, but all the ten tribes of Israel. Verse 22. For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did, and they did not depart from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had said by all of his servants, the prophets. So he always gives warning. Now, during the millennium with the people, we will say if they're sinning, you're sinning, this is the way to walk in it. God never does anything without a warning. So here it is. So Israel was carried away out of their own land to Assyria as it is this day. They did that because they had sinned against God. Okay. Removed out because of their secret sins. All right. Now let's let's come and understand something that'll probably be happening during the millennium as well. Let's come to Isaiah 65. Now, this will be interesting indeed. Isaiah 65. And the reason is this, is because this will apply to the millennium as well as to the 100-year period pictured by the last great day. Because this is the same thing that God will do when there is righteousness entering into the kingdom of God, when there is sin, exile from the community. We also understand which we'll cover again in the last great day, that it appears from the book of Revelation that the place of exile will be somewhere in Gog and Magog. That the sinner will go there if they don't repent and they will die there. Now, let's pick it up in Isaiah 65, verse 17. Okay. Isaiah 65 and verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. Now, remember all of the destruction that took place on the earth at the return of Christ? So it will be a new earth and a new heaven around the earth. Wonder what it's going to be like. Get rid of all of the satellites out there. <laughs> Think of that. Okay. 
new heaven and new earth, for the former things will not be remembered nor come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing and her people a joy. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem and I will joy in my people. And the voice of weeping will no more be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. Now, that's just a summary of what's going to happen during the millennium. So you can't have sinners living in the same geographical area as the righteous. That's why God has exile. Now, here in verse 20 tells us quite a bit. There will not be an infant who lives but a few days. Meaning you're going to have a whole life. Nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. Okay. Now here's what becomes a little tricky. Okay. So let's stop right here and think about it for a minute first. When Christ returns, the dead will be raised. The angels will take them in the clouds to meet Christ in the air on the sea of glass. Those who are alive and are converted Christians, they will be changed in an instant, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye at the last trump. Okay? So this gives us the precedent of what's going to happen to people during the millennium who live to be a hundred years old, as it says here, and are righteous. They will be instantly transformed into spirit beings, and that will be a swift process of instantaneous death and restoration because it's given to all men once to die. Okay? And the sinner, twice to die. So this has to happen. Okay? So let's read on here and see if we can understand it. Verse 20 again. For there will not be an infant who lives but a few days nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. For the child will die a hundred years old. Okay? Boom! Instant death and change into a spirit being, if they're righteous. But the sinner who is a hundred years old shall be accursed. That means he will die. Now, if the sinners are removed from the society, then there has to be a place which you might call the kingdom of sinners. Okay? So what we have is this. All during the millennium, people have a chance to love God, keep his commandments, and to live the way that they should. When they sin, they'll have an opportunity to repent. 
Now, what happens if they don't repent? Well, they are removed from the immediate society. And they probably go somewhere so they can have some time to fast and pray and study and recover and repent. Now, what happens if they go there and they don't repent? Then they have to be exiled, and we will see on the last great day, to Gog and Magog. And they live their life there. Now, is it possible for them when they get over there to repent and come back? Probably, because God always honors repentance. But if they don't, they die accursed. Why? Because they will face the second death. The second death is the ultimate curse. Okay? So that's what it means here. Now that will, that will be all during the millennium, as we see that we have here. And later then, on the last great day, we'll apply it again to the 100-year period. But this is where we get the 100-year period right here. Now, verse 21 and those who are righteous, it says, and they will build houses and live in them, and they will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They will not build and another live in them. They will not plant and another eat. And like the days of a tree are, so will be the days of my people, and my elect will long enjoy the work of their hands. Okay? Now, that's what's going to happen during the millennium, see? So that's going to be quite a thing when we understand that and put that all together. Let's take a look. Let's take a look in Luke 15, something similar to it, okay? Of the prodigal son. So let's come to Luke 15 because... What's going to have to happen when they are removed from the society? They're going to have to repent and come to themselves. But here again is the operation of free choice. Okay? Luke 15. Prodigal son. Luke 15, verse 11. Then he said to them, a certain man had two sons. Always interesting, isn't it? What did we have with Adam and Eve? Two sons. Right? Yes. What did we have with the birth of Jacob? And Esau, two sons. Interesting. Had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me that portion of my property which falls to me. And he divided to them his living. And not many days after that, the younger son gathered everything together and departed into a distant country. He left being obedient to his father. 
He left the blessing that would be if he stayed there. He decided he's going to do what he's going to do. And he is going to decide good and evil for himself and what he wants to do. But you see, as we will find out, the same thing always happens because the laws of God always work in all circumstances for blessing or for cursing. And the cursing is punishment in hopes that we come to repentance. All right? So he departed and went to a distant country, and there he wasted all his substance living in debauchery. A quick summary of stupid choices. Though, whenever people make stupid choices, they think they can get away with it. If you don't believe that is true, look at the drug plague that's in the world today, and especially in America. Look at it with all of the things going on, with all of the debauchery of sex that is taking place. They think that this is better than what they had. But they're going to find out it's going to lead to total disaster. And those of us who are left here, we better stay close to God or the disaster will encompass us too. Okay? Now then, after a period of time, that's why you have exile. So you can be away from things and you can have time to think it over. And you can have time to examine what you did. And you can have time to repent. Let's see what happened here with the prodigal son. And after he had spent everything, there arose a severe famine throughout that country, and he began to be in need. Trial come upon him, right? What a trial that is. Then he went out and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country, and he sent him in the field to feed swine. Now, the worst possible occupation that a Jew can have is what? Feeding swine. And he was longing to fill his stomach with the husks that the swine were eating, but no one gave anything to him. Rough time. See? Now, don't we all face rough time? Don't we all face difficulties that come upon us? Yes. What are those for? Those are to help draw us to God, to realize that only God can solve the problem. Only God can change the circumstances. Only God can open the door. Only God can bring us repentance. Key. Verse 17. This happens to everyone who sins, who's going to repent. This is the beginning of repentance. So those who are sent off into exile, if they learn their lesson, and they do what happens here with repentance, they can be restored. So let's read it. Verse 17. And when he came to himself, you know, that happens over a period of time. 
When you start out, you think, oh, this is great, wonderful. Oh, this is fine. Everything's going to work. Oh, I have done this and I've done that. And I've done the other thing. And then disaster strikes. And then you look and see everything you've done is wrong. And then you look and see that all of that is sin. And you begin to realize that you've got to turn to God. That's coming to yourself. So verse 17, and when he came to himself, he said, okay, how many of my father's hired servants have an abundance of bread and I'm dying of hunger? So he's saying, hey, I was stupid, (laughs) right? Okay. I will arise and go to my father. Come back out of the exile. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Repentance. That's why it will be set up that way. That's what God wants. Repentance. For I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. And... He arose and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion. That's how God deals with us. He's moved with compassion and love and goodness when anyone comes to repentance. And it even says that the angels in heaven rejoice. See? So this is what it is. That's how it's going to be during the millennium. And he, the father, ran and embraced him and ardently kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to his servants, Bring out a robe. See? When there is complete repentance, and there's complete yieldedness to God, the blessing of God will come. And it will come in a way that will be wonderful indeed, just like this. So the father said, bring out a robe, the best robe, and clothe him, and give him a ring for his hand and sandals for his feet and bring the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat, and be merry. Now this shows God is pleased when anyone repents. So all during the millennium, we're going to have this kind of operation. People will have an opportunity to repent. If they don't, they will be placed in a place of repentance so they can overcome. And if not at that place, then they're sent and exiled away. And if they don't repent, they die and are accursed. If they do repent, they can have a way back. See? So, verse 24. For this my son was dead, but is alive again. He was lost but is found, and they began to make merry. Okay. Now then, the other son 
didn't like this because he was always obedient. And then he started to get self-righteous and say, well, look, Dad, you've never given me anything, not even a kid goat, that I could rejoice with my friends. And he said to his other son, you're, my son, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But this, your brother has come back. So let's rejoice and make merry. Okay? So there's a lesson for all of us. So this is how it's going to be in the millennium. There's God. There's Christ and Jerusalem. Everything to set up rulership on the earth. There are all of us, the sons of God. We're going to be rulers in cities. We're going to be rulers in countries. We're going to be teachers. We're going to be showing the people how to live. God is going to bless the whole world, bring back Israel out of captivity, restore the whole world to him. And for a thousand years, there's going to be the greatest production possible in bringing many sons unto glory into the kingdom of God. So that's our calling, brethren. And that's the meaning of the Feast of Tabernacles. It has meaning for God, meaning for Christ, meaning for the church, meaning for the world, meaning for every individual. And that's going to be a wonderful thing. And as it says, and his rest will be glorious. So we'll see you tomorrow, day number four. And how are we going to judge? See you then.